It was a crazy week. Um, the topic that I'm, I'm going to talk about this morning is spiritual warfare, and uh, I don't think that the devil wants to be talking about that. So uh, it, was, it was just a, an interesting week, a lot of discouragement and doubt, and, um, but I'm here excited to, to talk about it because um, it's just going to be proof that God overcomes that uh, all the time. So we're going to talk through, through spiritual warfare a little bit this morning. Uh, it's not going to be a talk on demonology. I'm not going to get too, too deep into that, but... Uh, we are going to talk about how to defend Satan's attacks. Satan's attacks are very real, and uh, even as Meg was just praying, um, they're, they're constant. And uh, so we're going we're to talk through that. Uh, before I do that, I want to pray just so we can uh, make sure that God's glorified this morning through, through everything. So, God, I thank you for, uh, for another morning that we can come and uh, learn from your word. God, I pray that you would just, um, just give me that peace uh, that passes understanding right now. Uh, as, um, it was a tough week, but uh, you... Uh, taught me and encouraged me, and so I pray that uh, what I share this morning would do the same for uh, for all these people here. Uh, I pray that you'd be glorified and that we'd go from here knowing how to better uh, defend against uh, your and our enemy. So uh, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the USA Today reports um, that mosquitoes might hold the key to military victories. Uh, engineer David Hugh of the Georgia Institute of Technology is taking a close look at mosquitoes in order to understand how they can withstand um, the pounding of heavy rainfall. Hughes' research could help improve the design of insect-sized flying robots, which he says are currently being designed for use in military surveillance and search and rescue operations. His research looked at how mosquitoes, which often thrive in rainy, windy regions, manage to survive impacts with raindrops during flight. These raindrops are moving at a very high speed of about 22 miles per hour, which is too fast for mosquitoes to dodge while in flight. He, he says, though similar in size to mosquitoes, a single raindrop can weigh more than uh, 50 times that of a mosquito. In fact, if you think about that in, in our um, body average weight, that's like us being trapped underneath the wheel of a car. Uh, that's about the ratio that it is for a raindrop and a mosquito. Uh, the study... Authors found that what a mosquito um, has is a strong ex exoskeleton and a low mass, so when the raindrop hits the mosquito, the mosquito kind of goes with the raindrop and continues flying. So kind of like the martial arts um, form, you know, Tai Chi, what they teach is that you should uh, allow an oppo opponent's force to go through you or to go around you, and this is kind of what the mosquito uh, does. And so maybe you're thinking, cool story. Um, who cares about mosquitoes, right? Uh, let me assure you that there are many implications from that study uh, that have to do with what we're talking about this morning. Um, but we're going to start just with this simple truth and this fact, that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, it's inevitable that um, you're going to be attacked, and um, it's fact that we are all in a battle. Many times in our life, just like the little mosquito, we're bombarded by the enemy with things uh, that can hurt us and destroy us emotionally and mentally. And we feel sometimes the weight uh, of these things come down on our lives, and it, it feels like it's, it's way too much for us to bear. And so we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt who he says he is and who he, who he is uh, to us. And uh, we begin to get discouraged through that, but then through the power of God, we can overcome that uh, and we can stand with confidence against um, our enemy, and that's, that's Satan. Now, spiritual warfare is a very, very hard thing to talk about. It goes uh, far deeper than where I'm going to go this morning, and it could cover 
uh, weeks and weeks of, of teaching, but I'm going to try to do my best uh, this morning just to kind of cover um, some of the bases of that. Um, but the bottom line is that the enemy's real um, and that he's, uh, he's out to attack us and that we're, we're in the middle of a war. Uh, the ancient Chinese warrior Sun Tzu taught his men that they needed to know their enemy before they were to enter into battle. So before looking at how we enter into battle, we need to understand who our enemy is, and um, we're at a little advantage because we actually know what his plan is as well. So just a little bit of history uh, of, of who Satan is. Satan is created. We know that because in Colossians, we learn that uh, by him who's Christ, all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things under heaven and on earth were created through Christ, for Christ, and by Christ. So we know then that Satan is a created being. We also know that Satan had a place in heaven, and he was expelled from heaven because of, uh, he, he wanted God's glory. So in Revelation uh, chapter 12, it tells us that the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So he started out a created being in heaven and God expelled him from heaven with, with his angels that followed him. We also know there's going to be an end to Satan's terror and that's, uh, that's, you know, brings us joy and hope. In Revelation 20 uh, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that he's going to be bound in a pit for a thousand years and then for a short time after will be loosed and then cast into um, eternal fire for eternity. Eternal fire for eternity, that makes sense. Uh, eternal fire, okay, for the rest of, um, for the rest of, you know, ever. So um, we know that he's going to be there and that's his ultimate destruction is he's going to be cast down by God. Now, we also learn a lot about who he is. We learn about his personality. Uh, we, we learn that he's a tempter in Matthew 4. We learn that he's a murderer and a liar in John chapter 8. Um, in Matthew, we learn that he's evil. We learn that he's the, the deceiver of the whole world, um, not just, um, you know, for us Christians, but for the whole world, he deceives. Um, he's like a lion in 1 Peter 5.8. That would kind of imply that he's, uh, he's frightening He's aggressive and he's dangerous. I don't know if any of you ever come face to face with a lion, but I wouldn't want that. Um, it'd be kind of scary. Uh, you know, we also learn he's like a serpent, so that implies that he's stealthy, that he's capable of inflicting damage and uh, sometimes even death. Um, and there's, there's a lot of other description of who Satan is, but that's um, just kind of a, give you an idea of, of the kind of being that he is. He's, he's evil. As one of my middle schoolers said at camp a couple weeks back, he's, he's, an, he's a bad dude, right? So he's just, he's just evil. Um, so that's a brief overview, and, and like I said, one thing that we have an advantage of is that we actually know what his master plan is, and his master plan is to end the spread of the gospel. We, of course, are called to carry that gospel to the far ends of the earth, and Satan's plan and mission and scheme is to put an end to that. His, his plan is also um, to, to bring a close to God's plan of redemption. So by us carrying the gospel, of course, our goal is to see people get saved and come to a knowledge of Christ, and, and he wants to completely put an end to that. That's his goal. That's his plan. You see that from the very beginning in Genesis in the Garden of Eden uh, when he comes and starts talking to Adam and Eve. And um, we know that God gave specific instructions to Adam and Eve that they weren't to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, of, of good and evil. And so Satan comes along and starts whispering in Eve's ear. Uh, you know, he says, you know, did God really tell you that, you know, that you're not to eat of that tree? And she says, she says yeah, we're not supposed to eat that tree. We're going to die. And Satan's like, you're not, you're not going to die. You know, there's no way that you're going to die. God's not going to kill you. He created you so that you could be in a relationship with him. Why would he kill you? 
you know. And so he, he starts whispering these lies and, and uh, ideas of, of, of um, you know, turning against God, and he starts to deceive them through that. And then you look at Jesus as well. He began his ministry uh, in a 40-day battle with Satan. I mean, 40 days. It's, it's hard for me to go a few minutes and feel like Satan's attacking, but I can't imagine 40 days uh, in a battle with, with Satan. And uh, for those 40 days, Jesus didn't eat anything. So Satan comes and tries to tempt him in, in three ways. Um, the first thing that he says is, um, you know, as Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, he says, you know, just talk to that rock right there and tell it to become bread and you can eat it. And, uh, you know, Jesus, of course, answers with scripture and, and Satan starts whispering in his ear, uh, you know, you don't need God to do that for you. Why can't you just turn it into it? Just, just do it for yourself. God's not going to provide for you. You need to turn that rock into bread yourself and, and take matters into your own hands and eat that bread. And then he tells Jesus, if you bow down to me, he says, I'm going to give you uh, rule over everything. I'm going to give you everything that you can see. I'm going to give you uh, power and glory and authority. And so he starts whispering. He says, you don't need God. I'm going to give that to you. You can take that, take that for yourself, and you can be the ruler, and you can be the power. And then finally, he takes him to the top of the temple uh, in Jerusalem, and he says, he says, why don't you just jump? Just jump. You know that God says that his angels are going to protect you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Just jump. So Jesus, of course, you know, answers with scripture and says, you, you know, you're not going to um, tempt God. And Satan, but he's whispering. He's saying, you know, just, just do it. God's going to protect you. You know that if you jump, he's not going to let anything happen to you. And he whispers, and he wants him to go against what God's commanded. And so he's whispering these lies and, and these, this deception into his ear. And you think about the garden um, where, where Jesus is wrestling so hard at the end of his, his life with the idea of giving his life up and for dying, and for, you know, he even says to God, he says, um, you know, if it's your will, please take this cup from me. I don't, I don't want to go through this if I don't have to. And you think Satan wasn't there when, when, when Christ is about to die and save the world? You, don't, you think he wasn't there whispering in his ear? You know, you don't have to do this. God's big enough. He can take care of this by himself. You don't need, he doesn't need you to do this. You know, and he's whispering. He's whispering these lies, and he's trying to make him uh, break that trust that, that he has in God. So this is, this is Satan, right? He whispers, and he's a lot of times attractive, right? That's why it's so hard for us not to stumble, because Satan comes and whispers, and he says, he says do this, do this, you know? Uh, go and, and um, go partake of, you know, what the world tells you to partake of, and go pursue money, and go do all these things, and it's attractive. And um, this is how Satan works. He starts whispering into our ears, and he whispers um, lies and, and deception. So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. We're actually going to talk about um, how we, as Christians, can overcome uh, his, his attacks. So if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 6, um, and as we're turning, just so you know, Ephesians, um, Paul is writing to a lot of different churches. This was a letter that actually um, cycled uh, and was sent to a lot of different churches, one of them being the church in Ephesus. And um, so... Because it was written to a church in Ephesus doesn't mean the truth doesn't carry down the years and isn't applicable for us. So as we read this passage, um, we're going to talk about the armor and we're going to talk about uh, what that looked like then and what that looks like for us today. This quote by John MacArthur I found very, very um, intriguing. It says, If we are walking worthy of our calling, in humility rather than pride, in unity rather than divisiveness, in the new self rather than the old, in love rather than lust, in light rather than darkness, in wisdom rather than foolishness, in the fullness of the spirit rather than the drunkenness of wine, and in mutual submission rather than self-serving independence, then we can be absolutely certain that we will be in opposition and conflict. 
If we're living lives that are a pleasing aroma, as it says in 2 Corinthians, um, then we are, are guaranteed to, spare, to, to face spiritual warfare. So we need to be ready. So we're just going to work through this passage. We're going to start in verse 10 of, of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to work through this together this morning. So Paul starts by saying, finally, so after he's written this whole book uh, to the Ephesians with all these, these you know, blessings that were promised, uh, the grace um, that we have through faith, the mis- mystery of the gospel, challenge to parents and children, to slaves and masters. After all this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So here's, here's truth number one. Well, not really. We've talked about truth. Truth number six. Okay. Um, so we're never going to be able to fight this fight on our own. It's impossible. It's not going to be um, very successful if we try to do it by ourselves. We are absolutely insufficient and we're weak and uh, we're unable. But through the strength that we have through, um, as Philippians 4.13 says, through Christ, it says that we can do all things, right? All things, not just some things, but through the, the strength we have through Christ, we can do all things. So we go from being, being completely weak and insufficient to being able to do everything, doing anything, to, be, be, to do all things. Um, so the first step, kind of like one of those you know, step, step-by-step programs, the first step is to admit that we have a problem, is to admit uh, that we're insufficient and that we can't do this without, uh, without the power of God. Verse 11, Paul goes on to say this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, we, we learn three things here, just in this verse, about the, the armor of God. The first thing we learn um, is that we are to, to put it on. The, the Greek word for put on, uh, for those of you that, that care about Greek words and stuff, is enduo. And this carries the idea of, of like a once and for all. It's not, it's not like a, a uniform, you know, like when, when you're a kid and you're playing soccer and you fall down and get grass stains, you know, and your mom shouts it out or whatever. Um, you know, it's not like that where you take it off and clean it and put it back on, take it off, put it back on. What Paul's saying is that this armor is to be put on and kept on. It carries a, an idea of permanence um, with it. The second thing we learn is that it, it doesn't just say put on armor. It's not pick and choose what armor you want. It says put on the whole armor of God. That would imply the full from the helmet all the way down to the shoes to the weapons to the full body covering. He's saying put on that whole armor. And then the third thing we learn is uh, that our source, uh, the source of the armor comes from God. It says the armor of God. Um, so it's something that God supplies to us. And of course, uh, we see that the, the reason for putting that on is so we can stand against the schemes of the devil, which we talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Um, now, I don't know if, if we have any theology buffs out there, but I'm going to tell you this. Uh, Satan is not omnipresent. What that means is that Satan cannot be in more places um, than one at a time. So he can't be, you know, attacking me, and then he can't be in uh, Kenya where we're going in a few days attacking someone else. He can't do that. It's not possible for him to do that. There's one person who's omnipresent, and that's God. Uh, Satan is not that way. But if you look at verse 12, we learn how it's possible for multiple people to be attacked. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. So this isn't a physical battle. It's not something that we're going to go out and have to fight, you know, uh, literally and, you know, throw blows and kick and, you know, karate chop, all that kind of stuff. We're not going to have to do that, but it's a spiritual battle. And so all the armor that we're going to learn about is going to be spiritual in in nature. Now, without a complete study, like I said earlier, we're not studying demonology here today, but without that study, um, know that Satan is not alone uh, in this fight. He's got thousands of thousands that fell with him 
that are roaming this earth uh, looking for someone to pounce on. It says in 1 Peter 5.8 that, that they wait in the shadows like a, like a lion waiting to pounce. Um, so he's got an army with him. It's not just Satan. And all of them are, are just as determined. Uh, they have the same goal in mind. They want to attack and destroy us. Now, I don't want this to be something scary that we talk about this morning. This isn't meant to, to scare, um, you know, to scare us out of hell or to scare us uh, into a relationship. That's not the point of it. The point is to understand uh, that we can't just walk through life once we become a Christian and expect everything just to be, you know, peachy keen. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be hard. And as John MacArthur said, the closer you walk in step with God, the closer that you're in step with Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit working through you, uh, the harder it's going to be. Because Satan doesn't want us to succeed. He wants us to fail. So if we're living a life of complacency and we're living a life that, you know, is just kind of getting us through the week and we're not really worrying about the matters of God, then Satan doesn't care because he's happy with that. He wants you to be complacent. He doesn't want you out living and sharing the gospel and and living a Christ-like life as a testimony. Uh, So when we are living that way, we're going to be attacked. And uh, it's a a spiritual attack. And when it comes, it comes um, very, very uh, strongly upon us. So um, that, that's kind of his army that he has coming after us. Uh, verse 13 tells us kind of where we start with, with this armor. Um, it says this, or Paul says this. He says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So he, he says here to stand, right? It's not, it's not to go run and attack. We're not to go and seek out Satan and, and demons, because we don't know where they are. We don't know how many of them are here. We don't know what they're up to at this moment. So we can't go out and try to find them. He also says, don't, you know, tuck tail and run when they come. He says, don't retreat. But what he's saying is stand firm. Place your feet firmly in the ground and stand. And be ready for the attack. And then he's going to give us the armor. Because with this armor, it's going to be sufficient for us to stand against the attacks of the devil. So he's going to give us six pieces of the armor of God. Three of them, the first three we talk about, are going to be armor, are pieces of armor that we are to uh, have put on before we enter the battle. He says, having put on, and then these three things, then you can, you're ready for battle. And the second three we're going to talk about are things that we need to have at the ready for the battle at all times. So it's going to be right there at our hip, okay? And we're ready to pull that out when the battle comes. So we're going to walk through these together, and I'm going to have some pictures up on the screen just to give you an idea of what these things look like. So the first thing he says in, uh, in chapter, or verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So I think we have a picture of the belt of truth. Uh, maybe, in a second, I'll talk through it. Um, so on a soldier's uniform, back in this time, the belt had a twofold purpose. The first purpose um, was to hold their, their clothing basically uh, tight on their body. So a typical garment back then was uh, just a rectangular piece of material, It had three holes, one for the head, two for the arms, and then a big opening for the legs. And it was usually just draped on. And so it was very, very uh, baggy. So I don't know if um, you've tried to, you know, I've never tried to walk around in a dress, but, you know, like baggy dresses, it'd be hard to, like, you know, jump around and do cool stuff in. But um, back then what they do is they take the belt and they would tuck tuck the robe into the belt so that they'd be ready to move. Uh, Another translation says that they would um, gird up your loins with truth. So what girding up your loins meant is um, they would take their robes and they would actually pull them up uh, to about thigh level so that they were very, very mobile. So they'd pull it up and be ready for whatever was coming, ready to move, ready to run, uh, ready for action. So what the belt did is is it would hold uh, that robe in place and it would also uh, 
have weapon holsters for, for swords and spears and, and other weapons like that. So the other, other part of it, the spiritual part of it is truth. It says put on the belt of, of truth. Now the spiritual connotation here um, has to do with the truth of, of Scripture. And um, God's truth, God's word, Scripture is absolutely essential if we're going to fight this battle and we're going to be ready to stand. Uh, his word we're actually going to see uh, multiple times through this armor how, how we use it. Now, earlier in his letter, in, in chapter 4, verse 14, Paul talks about that we were once children uh, being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Now, um, to put on the belt of truth means uh, to get past that. We need to understand Scripture so well that any false doctrine, any lie, any, any idea that the world throws at us that's not biblical, uh, we know truth. And so we're not deceived by these, these false doctrines, um, you know, gospels of prosperity, uh, universalism, multiple ways uh, for salvation. Those kind of things are, are false gospels, and those aren't truth. And so if we have the belt of truth on, just like the robe, we're able to tuck these, these um, wrong doctrines behind, behind truth. And we're able to understand what the false ones are and what God teaches is, is real uh, truth and what real doctrine is. And so the belt holds those back. And so we have real truth in our minds and we're ready then for the attacks of the devil because uh, every day you go and there's, and there's false gospels being thrown at you, right? Um, you you want to pursue this, pursue that, pursue this, and it's not God that they're telling you to pursue. Uh, and that's, that's false. You're not supposed to pursue that, th- that stuff. So you're supposed to be ready with truth to overcome that. Now, second, second piece of armor he's going to talk about is the breastplate of righteousness. In verse 14, he says... Um, having put on uh, also the breastplate of righteousness. Now, okay, there's, oh, can we go back to the belt just so we can kind of see what it looked like? There we go. Okay, so belt. There's a Roman soldier. There's the belt. Um, so they had the, the belt that would go around, and then they had some, some pieces of, of heavy leather that would, that would hang down and protect um, the lower region. So then the next picture um, is the breastplate of righteousness. So this is what it would look like. Typically that was uh, pounded metal or it would be very heavy leather and they would cover that leather with pieces of metal um, because the spears and the swords used in that time were meant to pierce uh, through basically anything. So they'd have to make it very, very strong and very, very sturdy. And so um, that's what it would do. It It would also protect the heart, the lungs, you know, the intestines, all your organs that are in here. Interesting uh, thing that I learned this week is that in ancient Jewish thinking, the heart represented the mind and the will. So your heart represents mind and will. And then your, um, your bowels would represent um, emotions and feelings. So if you think about that, think about what the breastplate of righteousness is covering, and think about the two places that are the most common that Satan attacks, that is our, our minds and our emotions. And so the righteousness uh, that Paul is, is, is implying here now, this is not what's called imputed righteousness. This is not righteousness that we get when we become a Christian. We learn about that kind of righteousness in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's not the righteousness that we get as a result of that uh, relationship that we have. Um, the righteousness he's talking about is uh, the righteousness that we, we get by living a life every day in obedience to God. So by, by always trying to walk in step, it's an effort that we have to make uh, when we get up in the morning and, and we're saying, you know what, today I'm going to make these decisions and I'm going to live life uh, by what God says and live in step with Christ and how he lived his life. That's the righteousness it's talking about. Uh, the righteousness that we get at, you know, at the point of uh, salvation is already on us. So when he says um, to take it up, uh, then you know, it's, it's kind of 
impossible to take something that we already have and, and put it on, right? So uh, you get the idea behind that. But you have to be willing to do so. You have to be willing to put that on. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul says that we, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when Satan attacks our mind, if we've taken all the thoughts of Christ captive, then that's going to be able to deflect uh, what Satan tries to throw at us. And it, it's constant, right? It's in every decision that we make, uh, even the small ones. Um, that's, that's where Satan attacks. It's every conversation, every interaction that we have. Uh, in all of life, we have to make an effort to be obedient to God. It's not just something that you can expect because you're a Christian, because uh, as, as we know, that's not the case. You have to always make an effort to live in obedience to God. Then he talks about um, shoes. In verse uh, 15, he, said, he says, And in sh- as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, I don't know about you, but shoes to me aren't like really a big deal. Um, I know the girls are like, oh, shoes, you know, I got like 38 of them. Um, but I, all I need is like rainbows and uh, maybe like a pair of winter shoes. And I'm like, I'm content all year. And I'll wear rainbows till it's like 40 degrees because, uh, you know, I just don't care about shoes. I, I just, I don't need shoes. But there's so many different types of shoes for different situations, right? Um, you have shoes for, uh, think about a tennis player. Okay, they have shoes, one pair of shoes for like a clay court, and they have a completely different pair of shoes for like a grass court, right? You, you need different shoes for different situations. And, um, you know, I, I know some girls are like, um, you know, what, what flats am I supposed to wear with a skirt? You know, and you have like five pairs of flats that you have to decide from. Um, there's different shoes for different outfits even, right? Not even just different occasions. So the shoes that a soldier would wear, as you can see here, um, were, were very, very, very sturdy, and the bottoms of them would be very thick, and they would even put pieces of metal on the bottoms of their shoes. Uh, back then, I'm not sure if you realize this, but there weren't really like paved roads. And so most of the time when they were walking to battle, they were on um, very, very hard dirt rocks. They were going through stream beds that had you know, jagged rocks sticking up. They're walking up and down cliffs. Uh, so they had to have shoes on their feet that would allow them to be ready for battle. If they didn't have shoes like that, you get blisters, um, you know, you have nasty fungus you're growing. I don't know what happens to, you know, feet if you don't wear good shoes. Um, But if if that's the case and you have blisters on your feet, then you're not going to be ready to fight, right? You're going to be like, all right, bring it on. You're going to be like, uh, you know, like stumbling around because you're not wearing the proper shoes and you're not going to be ready um, to attack or defend or to stand firm with where you are. So those are, those are shoes. You put on the shoes. Now he talks about um, spiritually the gospel of peace. This isn't um, necessarily the gospel that uh, we use to, to evangelize, okay? This isn't um, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ when he died for our sins, okay? Uh, again, we're to, we're to take this up and stand firm. It doesn't say to go take it out. It says to stand firm. Uh, so the gospel of peace that it's talking about here is the, the peace that we have uh, with, with God. When, when God saved us, it, it tells us in, um, in James 4, 4 that we used to be enemies of God, okay? If you're not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. So therefore, there's no peace between us and God, but then when you become a Christian, uh, there's peace now. There's peace and there's unity. Um, Jesus prays for that in, uh, in, in uh, the Gospels about, you know, praying for unity, that, that the unity that Jesus and the Father have, that we would have that unity with them as well. He says, God, let, you know, Father, let them have the unity that we share. That's unbelievable if you think about that, right? That, that the unity that, I mean, Jesus is God. And so his unity is the fact that he's divine and he's praying this unity, this, this bond, this closeness that we have, let them have the same unity with us that we have. 
That's unbelievable. And so for me, that's like, you know, being able to rest in that, that's, that's a no-brainer for me. Because if God's going to take someone like me and he's going to allow me to enter into unity uh, with him, uh, that's, that's humbling. It, you know, it, it breaks me, but it also gives me confidence that I have someone like God, you know, standing behind me. And I have that unity. And uh, I was talking to John this morning. It's kind of like you think about, you know, the little, little devil and the little angel on your, ear, or on your shoulders, right? That's not really how it is. Like you got a little devil and then God's like right behind you and he's just like, you know, ding, like flicks the devil off you. Um, so you have God, he's got your back and you have unity um, uh, through Christ and uh, through what he did for us. So to put on the shoes then, um, we need to understand, we need to embrace that unity that we have through God um, and we need to stand tall and know that God has our backs. So um, those are the first three. Those are things that we have uh, should have put on before we enter the battle. And now Paul's going to go, or yeah, Paul's going to go into uh, three that we put on uh, once we're in the battle or have it the ready. I mean, at, in the battle, ready to take up um, at any notice. Now, um, the first one he talks about is, is uh, the shield of faith. Uh, the shield. There's a couple different types of shield that they would use back then, but the one that that Paul mentions um, is this this big, huge one that's usually about two and a half feet wide. Uh, four and a half feet tall, and um, the purpose that it would serve is that, you know, you'd be able to hold it, and what they would do is they would crouch down behind their shield uh, so that their whole entire body was covered, and then a lot of the soldiers would get in one big long line, and they would all have their shields, and there, there would be just a big wall of shields, and so anything that the enemy was going to bring, uh, be it spears or arrows or swords, uh, they'd be ready and fully protected, and usually the archers would stand um, behind, uh, behind and, and shoot the arrows over. They'd also um, usually soak their shields in water. Uh, the reason they do that, Paul, Paul says this in, um, in verse 16. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming uh, darts, it says, flaming arrows of the evil one. So what they would do is they would actually take their, their arrows and they would dip the ends in pitch and they would light them on fire. And so when they shot them, uh, if, if it hit your shield or hit anywhere near you, uh, it, would, it, would, it would splatter. And so flaming pitch would just go everywhere. And so if you were anywhere within like a five or six foot radius of these arrows, uh, it would hit you and it would burn your flesh. And so they would soak these shields in water so that when uh, the flaming arrow was shot, it would hit and it would completely distinguish uh, the flaming arrow. And so that's, that's the shield that, um, that Paul's talking about. <laughs> that was weird. That's the shield, right? Not that. Um, now, the type of faith that Paul's talking about is um, it's not saving faith, okay? It's not the faith um, that, that we place in Christ, uh, again, at our moment of, of salvation. Uh, what the faith is, is it's kind of like a, um, kind of like a, basic, like a basic trust. Every, every morning we wake up and we have to trust God for certain things. We trust God for a lot of different things. Uh, a few days from now, I'm getting on a plane with, you know, with 18 others and we're going to Kenya. And uh, I'm getting on a giant hunk of metal and trusting a human to fly me across the ocean. I mean, that's... That's trust, right? Because a lot of things can go wrong. Um, you parents, every time you drop your kids off at youth group, you trust, you know, uh, me and the leaders, uh, which is sometimes scary. But you trust us with your kids. We, we place trust in a lot of different things. Placing trust in God is far more reliable. And uh, we're far better off doing that than placing our trust in, in anything else. Um, because God is always there. And God will never fail us. God is never going to leave us. We know that he never leaves nor forsakes us. Now, one of the primary arrows that Satan is going to shoot is that of temptation. Uh, if you think about, we talked about the Garden of Eden, right? And you see Satan uh, talking to Eve, and he's trying to um, tempt her to break her trust in God. He's whispering these lies and deceit into her ear. 
Think about um, Jesus, right? He's, he's being tempted to break his trust in God, to go against what God has commanded uh, in his word. But temptation is very broad, right? It's not just um, breaking trust in God. There's a lot of things that we're, we're tempted to, excuse me, we're tempted to anger, we're tempted to, to steal, we're tempted to corrupt talk, we're tempted to bitterness, uh, immorality, covetousness, doubt, fear, pride. I mean, there's so many things that, that we're tempted to do that don't go along with the character of, of God. Um, but, but this temptation uh, to break trust in God is so very dangerous, and that's where Satan attacks. And, and what happens is we begin to rely on, on others, right? We begin to rely on other things. We, we begin to rely on ourselves instead of placing our full trust uh, and reliance on God. And so Satan tempts us with that all the time when we, when we try to do things ourselves, uh, when we try to rely on other people to, to make us satisfied or to make us, you know, uh, feel like, like they give us that, you know, that warmth and that love and that that's, that's their purpose, to give us that. It's not their purpose. God's purpose is for that. And so when we find our satisfaction and we place all of our trust in God alone, um, then we're ready. That's the shield that we take up. We're saying, you know what? I trust God. I trust my shield far more than I trust any other human being, far more than I trust anything else. I trust the shield um, of, of faith that God has given me. So uh, Proverbs 30, just for, for emphasis, it says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So he's not just a shield if, you know, just standing around. We have to take refuge, right? We have to grab the shield. We have to get behind it and trust that he's going to protect us uh, from the flaming darts, as it says um, in Ephesians. So we need to make it a point to trust God every day. Uh, verse 17, then Paul goes on to talk about the, uh, the helmet of salvation. He says, uh, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, a soldier would never go into battle without his helmet. Uh, you can see the helmet covers the whole head and even covers the cheeks. Now, the weapons that were, um, that were made back then were meant to crack skulls, right? They were meant to decapitate. I know it's kind of gross, but that was the purpose. They made these double-edged swords, these spears that were meant to go through human skulls. And so if you didn't put a helmet on going into battle, that's like, you know, that's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. I mean, most likely you're, you're probably going to die, okay? There's really no way around that. So if you're going into battle with a, without a helmet, most likely you're going to die. So he says, put on the helmet of, of salvation. These were also made of heavy metal or sometimes the heavy leather uh, with the metal shards on it. That's just kind of how they did, uh, they did it back then. Um, now, MacArthur submits that the two edges of Satan's sword that he attacks with are um, discouragement and doubt. Now, he attacks in a lot of different ways, obviously, but discouragement and doubt because that helmet is protecting our mind, right? So discouragement and doubt. Now, his master plan, uh, of course, we talked about is to put an end to God's um, redemptive plan, and, and the way he does that is by whispering lies and whispering uh, deceit into our ears, and he whispers things that discourage us, right? Uh, just this week, you know, I'm preparing this, this message, and I find myself discouraged. And I'm thinking like, you know, what's going on? Why, why am I so discouraged? I, I just came off of two amazing weeks, you know, of camp with the kids. You know, I'm preparing a message to share and, and I, I have this discouragement. And I start having these doubts in my mind. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to pr prepare this message and Satan's just whispering. He's just saying, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, to adequately teach what God, you know, wants them to hear. So just give it up, you know, find something else to talk about. You think Satan wants to be talking about how to defend against him? Of course not, right? So he's whispering discouragement and he's, he's whisker, whispering doubt into my mind, and then I realize, you know, what, what's, this is so dumb. Like, I have the Word of God, and I'm studying it, and I'm, what I'm studying right now is what I should be putting into practice to get rid of that, that discouragement and doubt. Um, maybe, uh, 
Maybe you have a spouse, you know, that continues to reject the gospel. And, um, and Satan's whispering, you know, God's not faithful. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about your spouse. You know, maybe he's whispering that to you. Maybe, maybe you have a child that refuses, you know, to follow God. Maybe you bring them to church and they're just refusing and they just won't, they just won't you know, walk and follow uh, what God commands us to do. So, so Satan's whispering, you know, God doesn't care about your kid. He doesn't care about him. You know, he, he's, he's in it for himself. He doesn't care. He's not going to help you. You know, maybe, maybe you've been praying um, for healing and it's not coming. You know, Satan loves that. Uh, because that, that, we begin to doubt God, right? God, you said that you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be the doctor. You're going to be the great physician. Why aren't you healing my body? Why aren't you healing so-and-so's body? And so we begin to doubt and we get discouraged and Satan's whispering, God's not going to help you. God doesn't care. You're in this alone. You're going to fight through this by yourself. So get ready, right? And he's whispering these lies uh, and, and this deceit in our ears. And so he, just, he stirs up these feelings of discouragement and doubt and who God is and who God said he was and, and who he uh, is to us and who he promises to be. Uh, so he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, the salvation, uh, of course, is the assurance that we have through salvation that Christ gave us uh, and the salvation that comes in the end that we can hope for, um, you know, at, at, the end of, uh, at the end of the world. So um, that's the salvation that he's talking about, uh, the, the, the saving um, that, that God brings us. And then number six, he talks about the sword of the spirit. And this is in verse 17 as well. He says, um, after taking up the helmet of salvation uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, the type of sword um, that's talked about here was uh, somewhere between, see there, usually between about 6 and 18 inches in length. Uh, some of them were about 3 or 4 feet, you know, but these, are, these were smaller. Uh, they would put them in their belt, and these would be ready uh, for an attack, uh, for defense. Uh, they'd be offensive and defensive. So you had them on, had them on your hip ready for, for battle. Um, and, of course, we know that, that Paul's talking about a spiritual sword, uh, and he tells us right there that it's the Word of God. So here we go again. He starts with the Word. He ends with the word. He says, um, you know, have that sword, have the word of God ready. Thomas Guthrie, a Scottish pastor, I, Scottish, I don't know, this is like, has nothing to do with it. Scottish pastors always seem to have like the coolest like quotes or Scottish people. Like they just have really, it's like really cool and deep. All right. Um, he says, the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It's a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. Um, the Bible, we know, is, is inspired. We know that it's the Word of God, and there's no errors. Uh, it claims that. It says that it has holy authorship. In, in 2 Timothy, it says that it's inerrant, which means there's no errors. Uh, we know that it's, it's complete. Revelation 22 says that nothing's going to be added or taken away. It's complete. Uh, it's, it has authority. 2, 2 Timothy also tells us that. We know that it's effective. Uh, it tells us that, but there's also proof of that. If you just, you know, look in this room, there's proof of the gospel. There's proof, proof of these uh, words that God um, inspired men to write. We also know it's the source of truth in John 17. Uh, Proverbs says that it's the source of our happiness. Um, so many times, you know, if I'm feeling discouraged or just having a rough day, man, you flip to the Psalms and just start reading uh, what God's done for us and the glory of God and, and the promise of, you know, of what's to come. That's just, that's like so refreshing to me just to read, and it brings me happiness. Uh, it's also the source of spiritual growth in First Peter and, and the source of power, the source of so many things. Uh, and we know that, it, that um, it's, it's also uh, effective and, and it, it works in our lives. Um, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, uh, he used scripture. That's how he combated the devil. He, he used scripture against him. Um, so that's a pretty powerful example that we should be following. Now, the Greek word, um, word, in this text is rima. 
And this doesn't have to do with the general, like the general statements of the Bible. It's not logos, which just is like a general, um, you know, know kind of what the words are. What it is, it's, it's specific. It's saying know exactly what the words are. Jesus didn't say, you know, the, you know, Scripture tells us not to tempt God. No, he used an exact word-for-word reference from the Old Testament. So what, what the word's implying is that it's very specific. And um, we know in Hebrews that it says it's living and active, right? So, so Satan comes at us with a sword. Um, but then in the writer of Hebrews says that it's sh- the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So he may come at us with these attacks and, you know, with his, his little sword. And, 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 he, and uh, Paul says the word of God's stronger than that, right? The writer of Hebrews says it's stronger than that. We know that it's powerful. Um, so the way that we put that on, and this is something that's very challenging to me, um, is that we're committing Scripture to memory, uh, that we're hiding the words of God in our heart. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I'm guilty of this. You know, how many of us are committing Scripture to memory, uh, are hiding God's Word in our heart? Because if we're not doing that, you know, when Satan attacks, we find ourselves fumbling through, you know, well, I know, you know, God said that somewhere, uh, you know, Habakkuk, that's not it. And so if you know the Word of God and you know specifically where it is and what God said, then we can be ready uh, for the attacks that Satan uh, brings our way. And then Paul's going to go on and he's going to finish uh, this section of Ephesians talking about prayer. Uh, we're not going to get into that today, but he, the last thing he says is to pray. Pray for each other. Uh, pray for the church. Pray for yourself. Pray. The power of prayer. And he says that's, you know, that's how you're going to uh, make it through. So I want to make, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to make one thing really clear. Um, Jesus has already defeated Satan, okay? Uh, the ultimate Victory is one, and we don't have to worry about that. Oh, praise God for that. But 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven tells us that, okay? The, the, the ultimate battle is, is over. We have victory through Christ. But that doesn't mean, um, though, we just sit back and live life now, right? Uh, we have security through that, but, but the fight is still ongoing, and so we need to be ready for that. Um, we need to be in, in a constant attitude of, of surrender, uh, and we need to, to jump into the battle, right? It's not kind of like you're putting your toe out there and feeling the water, right? You're jumping in and you're ready and you've got your whole armor on, you know, and you're saying with God standing behind you, like, bring it on. You know, I'm ready. Um, and so that's the life that we live. That's the attitude we have as we go about our days. You know, Satan uh, is sneaky. Uh, he's fierce. He's powerful. He's evil. Um, and the only way to defeat him is through the strength that God's given us. So just to, to recap real quick, um, we need to put on, okay, uh, the belt of truth. So, so this means we need to understand the difference in God's truth and uh, the false doctrines that uh, the world throws, throws at us. Um, and we need to hide that behind the belt of truth. Um, the, the breastplate of righteousness. So we need to live a life that pleases God in our decisions, interactions, um, what we're doing when no one's watching, right, when we're by ourselves. We need to live lives that are honoring to God uh, every day. Shoes uh, made, you know, readiness of the gospel of peace. We need to rest in the unity that we have in Christ. Um, John 17, 21, Jesus prays, again, you know, that we're all going to be unified. So rest in that uh, and have security in that and stand firm in that. Um, then he says to, to have the shield of faith, be, be, take that up and, and trust in God. Uh, a daily choice, right? When you get out of bed before your foot hits that, that ground, you know, say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust in you today in everything, in my decisions, in my interactions, um, in everything. Before I even step foot and, and take my first step today, I trust you. And I want you to work through everything that I do. That's the shield of faith because he's going he's gonna to be behind your decisions. He's going to protect your decisions. He's going to protect your mind. And he's going to protect your testimony that you have as a result uh, of who you are in Christ. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. 
So don't be deceived by Satan's lies, right? He's whispering all the time, lies and deception in our ears. Um, rest in that assurance that we have in Christ. Uh, the promise of eternity uh, with God. That's, that's so cool that we have that as an assurance and we're secure in that. Um, and, and that's what we need to fight for. That's what we need to stand for. And then he says, you know, take up the sword of the spirit. That's scripture. Follow the example of Christ when he was tempted um, and use scripture in your defense. You know, if you're being tempted with something, uh, there's so, so many scriptures that uh, go against the temptation. So a lot of times I'll, I'll start reciting scripture in my head that, you know, apply to that temptation. You know, I really want to go do this. Well, you know, no, God says not to do that. And it's amazing how quickly God will just suppress that temptation and completely get, get rid of it. So uh, scripture is such a, such, yeah, such a powerful thing. Um, one more thing before I close, and that's that, you know, Satan doesn't make us sin. Um, you guys have heard probably, you know, well, Satan made me do it. Uh, you know, he didn't. Um, he, may, he may have, you know, placed a gun in your hand, but, you know, you pulled the trigger. It's not, he's not sitting here, you know, like a, you're not a marionette. And he's making you do things. Um, he, he pushes you towards it, but it's our decision. We, we fall. We make the choice uh, to walk, you know, in, in an opposite direction of where God wants us to go. Um, so the closer in step that we are with God, um, the more equipped that we're going to be for the fight. But we have to be ready. Uh, we can't just sit back. We have to be ready. We have to be working at this, and we have to be willing, and we have to stand firm. And I hope, I hope at the end of my life um, that I can join Paul, you know, when he said that I've, um, I fought the good fight, uh, you know, and I finished the race, and I've kept my faith. And that's my prayer for myself, man. I hope that I can walk through and, and, and defend and stand firm uh, and be able at the end to say, you know, I did fight a good fight. Uh, I messed up, you know, but I fought a good fight. And my, that's my prayer for you guys as well, that we can stand at the end um, of our days and say, you know what, that was worth it. I fought a good fight. Um, you know, I finished the race and I kept my faith. So um, would you guys pray with me and then um, band's going to come out for a couple more songs.